Live from New York, it's Ask an Engineer. Hey everybody, and welcome to Ask an Engineer. It's me, Lady Ada the Engineer. Got me pinkified with me, Mr. Lady Ada. Not pinkified, uh, but it's us two here again for Ask an Engineer, uh, the most fun, longest living, uh, <laughs> one hour engineering show on the internet. We're gonna have so much good stuff, lots of fun new products, another toy hacker segment. Yeah, it's a fun show. Uh, 3D Hangouts is back. We got INPI, JP's yeah. Pick of the Week, and more. That's right. Mr. Lady Ada, what's on the show tonight and what's the code? Tonight's show, the code is PM Feather, 10% off the native restore, all the way up till 59 p.m. Eastern time, or when I remember to turn the code off. So use or lose it, get 10% off. And uh, of course, it's because we have a prop maker, Featherwing. So you can wait till the end of the show to watch and see what this is. Or you can just add it to cart now and get ready. Talk about some of our live shows that we do, including Show and Tell. We just finished that up. Did Descalated Ada on Sunday, including a great search. We'll have a little bit of recap of that, including JP's product pick of the week this week. We'll do some factory footage. We got some 3D printing videos. We got INMPI. We've got a special top secret, which is a twofer because it's our My Little Hacker toy hacking. And it's also some upcoming uh, cool new product, plural products, I think, that we're going to be releasing for people who like to make uh, animatronics to music stuff and more. Have some new products. We'll answer your questions. We do that on Discord, adafruit.it slash Discord. We can join all like almost 40,000 of us now. There's a bunch of us there. All that and more on, you guessed it, Ask an Engineer. Yay! Okay, so, um, codes PM Feather, 10% off, and you get free stuff when you add stuff to your cart, including... We have the freebies back! $99 or more, the standard Chroma Proto half-size breadboard, still available when you order from Adafruit.com, $99 or more. We also have... Oh, skip, that should be last. Oh, whoops, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, one forty. Nine or more, you get a black KB2040. The K is for keyboard and B is for black. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's an RP2040 board with the same pinout as the Pro Micro, so it's a great update. But it's got STEM IQT connectivity, uh, built-in button, RP2040, dual-core 130 megahertz processor, 8 megabytes of flash, and USB Type-C. Uh, we have... Uh, go to the UPS thing. Well, I'm just... I put these in the exact wrong order. That's fine. Uh, $1.99 or more, you get free UPS ground shipping in the Constance United States. And now it's time. Yeah, because I, 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 we, we put a new graphic up, and I just went the opposite way when I when I, yeah, I just, this. Yeah. And then it's this, that, and this. And this. I actually did a numerical order. Yeah. $2.99 or more is the uh, back-in-stock Circuit Playground Express, uh, a sign that the world in chip shortage is healing. Get in there. We're, we're getting... Chunks of uh, Circuit Playground Express is back in stock because we've got 7021 chips in the house. Uh, this is our all-in-one development board, great for using with CircuitPython or Arduino. It even has some MicroPython support now. Yeah. Rust and Golang. It's got LEDs, sensors, buttons, and more. We haven't done a lot of Circuit Playground projects lately because they haven't been in stock. But now that we're getting them uh, back into the shop, I think we'll start doing some more projects again. Yeah. All right, uh, we do Disco Lady Ada every single Sunday. It's in two parts. Lady Ada, what was part one this week? Mm. Well, I wanted to give an update because we'd missed the previous um, desk of Lady Ada. Um, so we skipped a week because we were out of town. Uh, so this week we um, did a update on the uh, Teddy Rock Spin Hacking. I talked about that last week on this show, but Disco Lady Ada, I got into more depth. I showed some of like the files that modded. 
um, Android versions, running it on a Raspberry Pi, running it in an emulator, running it um, on a Raspberry Pi 2, Raspberry Pi 4. So many options. Um, how we got modern uh, linked libraries. Yeah. And, um, you know, showing a live, like, hacking of a story file. So we'll show a video of that later. Yeah. Um, so that's we saw the toy hacking we're doing. So that's actually almost done because we finally had an easy way to modify the audio files in the Teddy Rock spin. So that's what I did on the first half. Yeah, and then for Jessica Bladeator, when we look at things on digikey.com, what did you uh, look up this week? Okay. Um, so uh, this week we did a special question. We did two for it. We did a special request. Uh, somebody tweeted at uh, the Adafruit Twitter account, Phil saw it, and um, they requested an analog output Hall effect sensor that would detect a magnetic field and give you an analog output based on the strength of the magnet. And that's exactly something that DigiKey has tons of stock of. So um, I found a good option with different uh, polarity configurations, different strength configurations, low cost, I think it was like 40 cents or less uh, from TI, and uh, can detect both north and south magnets with um, one volt being you know no magnetic field at all. So a really good option. Okay. And then every single week we do JP's Product Pick of the Week where we broadcast live from the product page. Here is this week's highlight. The NeoDriver I2C NeoPixel board. This is the Le Potato from Libra Computing and this can't drive NeoPixels on its own. I now have the NeoDriver board plugged in over I2C to the Le Potato and then I have power coming from a five volt DC supply. And then I have a nice NeoPixel strip, about 60 NeoPixels plugged into these little terminal headers here. This is using Blinka, that, and rerun it. Uh, and here you go, this is not slow. Uh, at first I thought, uh-oh, this is, with all these warnings, is this gonna be disappointingly slow and we're gonna be sad? But no, I'm, I'm here on a little single board computer that can't on its own do NeoPixels, and yet with our little NeoDriver, we are doing some uh, very respectable NeoPixel driving. Is the NeoDriver, it is an I2C Stemma QT NeoPixel board. All right, and tomorrow is JP's workshop, and then Friday's is deep dive. Uh, let's do some Python on hard. We have like breaking news that we're going to talk about. Beep, 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 beep. Blinka, what's the latest? Well, um, just a little bit of a reminder. This is our newsletter. Uh, sign up for it. It is massive. Uh, we have the 8.2.0 beta one released. You can check out the notes. We have all the news that we put in. Um, special thanks to Anne, who's doing an amazing job. Uh, and Anne was on a podcast, so you can listen to an interview with Anne, the editor of the newsletter. Um, but since this came out uh, yesterday, uh, Raspberry Pi posted today something that I know a lot of folks are going to ask about. So I said, hey, Lady Ada, how about we just talk about some Python on hardware uh, relating to the Raspberry Pi Pico W? So as of today, today. what's new okay. with uh, Python on this particular bit of hardware and what can I do? Okay, so the Pico W is the RP2040 board from the Raspberry Pi Foundation. It's like about a year old-ish. And on board is that uh, Infineon, I guess it was it was Broadcom, then Cypress, now Infineon, CYW434339. And that's a combination Wi-Fi 
Bluetooth and Bluetooth low energy chips. So I think under that tin on the Pico W and it's the thing that, you know, it costs $2. It's, you know, baked into the cost. Um, and Wi-Fi support was added, you know, fairly quickly-ish uh, to the SDK and to MicroPython. So you could do Wi-Fi. And we added Wi-Fi support as well to CircuitPython. Arduino also has uh, Wi-Fi support. And then the next side was people were like, well, you know, it can do Bluetooth low energy. We want Bluetooth low energy support. Uh, so there is um, the ability now to do Bluetooth and Bluetooth low energy. So Bluetooth Classic and BLE. Uh, I guess you can do both at the same time. You can do them individually. Bluetooth Classic is kind of best for keyboards um, and SPP. Uh, those are like the two things people use it for the most. Uh, Bluetooth low energy is used for kind of everything else, modern style, and for interfacing with um, apps. Uh, in this case, they're using the um, Punch Through Light Blue app, which uh, totally is a blast from the past. Um, oh, yeah. Remember Punch Through Design? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was like six, seven years Whoa. ago. I guess their app is still available. You can also probably use it with Bluetooth Connect. Yeah. Uh, which is our app. And also and there's an update. Free. Since we uh, went live, the Bluetooth support is merged upstream into the official MicroPython repo. Yes. Well. I think it was in a fork, and now it's... It was in the SDK, like a few months ago, they released it was in the SDK. And then uh, now it's been merged into MicroPython. So from within MicroPython, you can make, uh, you know, Bluetooth keyboards, uh, wireless keyboard support. Uh, HID support isn't in there, so you'd have only Bluetooth, uh, low energy Bluetooth classic. But, you know, maybe for some people, they just want wireless. So the next question is, uh, Mr. Lady Ada. Well, everyone's going to ask when it's going to be added to CircuitPython. Yeah, that's what I mean. The answer is, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the answer is we have to take a look at it. Um, we already have Bluetooth support and CircuitPython. And so what we want to do is figure out, can we make it um, compatible with our existing API? Because that would be ideal, because again, we have existing BLE support. And I've also been kind of dancing the idea of adding uh, Bluetooth support, classic or BLE through the ESP32. And um, we're not, again, it's like, we kind of want to figure, ideally figure out a way to support everything and with the same API and, and without a lot of complexity. And it's it's, it's not trivial because CircuitPython has a couple of weirdnesses. Like we like to be able to dynamically add um, descriptors to the, the BLE um, peripheral dis, you know, descriptor, like what uh, services are available. And it's not clear whether this stack, uh, I think it's called like Blue Kitchen or the uh, yeah. SP32 has it's, it. It's uh, the BT stack library from Blue Kitchen. And it's also, it's not open, it's commercial use only, so it's like if we use it, sorry, it's you. It's licensed for commercial use with the RP2040, which is fine, um, but we would still want to have it again work with our existing API. Yeah. The answer is, I don't know. Wi-Fi is a little easier because Wi-Fi is kind of like, you can, you know, you scan, you connect, you open a socket, you close a socket. It's it's, it's there's not a lot of um, weird things about TCP IP over Wi-Fi, whereas, or UDP over Wi-Fi, whereas BLE, everyone kind of has their own little idea of how to implement the API. So the answer is we don't know. We haven't really looked at it. Um, something we'll be looking at in the next couple of months, but there's no ETA. So if you need it for your project, go with my Yeah, Python. well, you can just drop the EF2 on it. Now use it for that. And then when you need to do something Cross else. Back and forth. I like to... The fact that microcontrollers are starting to turn into like little computers where it's like, I want to run this operating system on on this because this is what I want to do. Like toss Linux on this machine because I want to do this. Yeah. Oh, wow, I want to do something else, toss Windows on it. Oh, I want to do something else, toss a different operating system or a different flavor of Linux, for instance. So yeah. I kind of like that you can bounce between these and it's a 
non-destructive um, way to do it. You don't have to like kill your microcontroller. You can just drop a new UF2 on it. Yeah. You, you're fine. You can you can you can have multiple ways to do something. Yeah. Anyways, um, so that's kind of neat. So that was our um, kind of Python on hardware news that I wanted to get out because it just happened. Folks are going to ask us. And so I'm like, now you can link to this. I can just say, here you go. Here you go. And that uh, is our Python on hardware news this week. Don't forget, um, stay current with anything at CircuitPython. We deliver this to your mailbox every single week. Go and find it on adafruitdaily.com. We do not do anything with your email address. We decided to have a completely separate website. That way, you know for sure, if you buy something nativefruit.com, we're never going to contact you unless it has something to do with your order. And then Adafruit Daily is a completely separate site. And uh, we just don't, we don't like spam probably more than you don't. <laughs> All right. We're an open source hardware company, Lady Ada, to, uh, to prove it. We do a bunch of guides. We release hardware. We release files. And software, yes, we hardware. Have, we have quite a few guides this week. We're super sherry. Some weeks we have like a bunch of guides, and some weeks we yeah, have as many. It's a big word this week. Uh, we have a bunch of product guides. So Katni did the NeoKey uh, socket breakout for the both MX and Chalk version, the chunky on the left and the skinny on the right. Uh, those uh, two breakouts are very similar, but not identical. So they needed a you know a guide that covers both. Katni wrote up the guide. Uh, and she also followed up with a um, encore of the TRS Jack. Breakout um, doesn't have code in it one, but you know people want to get the dimensions, they want to get the schematic, and they want to get the board file. So we have a guide now for that TRS Jack uh, breakout. Um, very handy. I I personally needed this breakout for me to do some uh, wiring testing because I needed something with the switches. So uh, check that out if you want to um, download the files or or I don't know uh, get more details about the pinout. Uh, we have. A uh, 3D Hangouts uh, project again this week. The LED Ultra Hand from uh, Tears of the Kingdom, the new Zelda Switch game. Uh, it's, a, it's a prop project using nudes, and there's no coding. There's a little bit of soldering, but it's just a battery and these LED noodles soldered together to make a cool Ultra Hand, um, you know, two-piece part, one for the palm, one for the arm. Nudes are great. Uh, normally, this would have been done with EL wire, and EL wire kind of sucks uh, to use. So I'm really glad that we found something better uh, to use instead. And then uh, Jepler had a project he wanted to build an all-in-one CPM emulator that runs on the RP2040 and has DVI output. So it has it connects to a TV like old computers did, and it has USB keyboard input. So he used two feathers, uh, a USB host feather, to do the keyboard part and then in a DVI feather to do the emulation and DVI output part. Uh, the code's in C, I think it's an Arduino, uh, and it uses the Pico DVI library and uh, he got Zork running on it and you can, yeah, you can run a CPM, you run CPM and then uh, as the emulator and then run programs off an SD card. I think he's got it. SD feather wing connected to and you can load games on. It works kind of like a hello world. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, can it run Zork? Well, it can run Doom. Well, it's like CPMs, no, they can't run Doom, but it can run Zork. So uh, that's kind of cool. And so check that out. And then I think we had a couple updates. Uh, let me scroll down. Uh, looks like Liz updated the Pico WHDP server, probably um, added this settings.toml. And then uh, the reverse TFT feather, ESP32S2 reverse TFT feather got updated, now has the Max 17048 battery monitor. Uh, ditto the ESP32 S3 reverse TFT. I think that also got updated from uh, the LC709 to the Max 17 
um, 048. So we have to update the guides to um, reflect that. And that's the... That's the okay. first hardware. All right, let's do some uh, factory footage. factory and more. Let's do some uh, 3D printing. All right, this week we're going to just jump right in and play these back to back. This is the Zelda project and a speed up. You can build a prop replica of Link's Ultra Hand from The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. We were inspired by Link's new ability to make a 3D printed prop that uses LED noodles. It's a two-piece wearable that fits over your arm and the palm of your hand. The LEDs wrap around the armband to resemble the ability's effect like in the game. LED noodles are a flexible strand of tiny LEDs that can be powered by a 3-volt coin cell battery. We made two different sizes to fit both human-sized Hylians and smaller players alike. The armband has three LED noodles powered by a 9-volt battery while the palm uses a single LED noodle powered by a coin cell battery. The LED noodles are pretty bright compared to EL wire and it's even viewable during the day. Get the parts to build your own Ultra Hand from the Adafruit shop. We 3D printed the parts in copper PLA filament that looks great without having to do any post-processing. You can modify the open source design in CAD for a precise fit. Just update the sketches to have the parametric model update so you can make an exact fitting prop. Start by soldering together the LED noodles in series with the cathode connecting to the anode. Be sure to check out the guide on the Adafruit Learning System for a full step-by-step -step tutorial. This current limiting resistor is soldered to the ground wire of a JST connector for a plug-and-play assembly. The LED noodles are press-fitted into the built-in channels on the outside of the armband. 
This joint was soldered at a right angle to accommodate the design of the channel. The wider channels allow the noodles to bend on itself for a tight fit. Hot glue secures the JST cable to the inside of the armband to keep it concealed. A separate mounting plate is secured with screws for the 9 volt battery holder. We'll need to replace this battery's DC jack with the JST cable so we can plug it into the wired LED noodles. Then we can place the battery holder onto the mount and snap fit the cover over the holder to make it blend in with the prop. The battery holder features an on-off slide switch to power it on. The palm section only needs a single LED noodle with the ends fitting through the notch. Secure the coin sole battery mount and fit the battery holder into place with the snap fit cover placed on top. Solder the battery cables to the noodles pins with an inline resistor. Remember to add heat shrink tubing to insulate those connections. Elastic straps or rubber bands can be used to keep the prop secured to your arm and your palm. Now you can use the slide switch to power it on. We had a lot of fun putting this one together and hope it inspires you to check out LED noodles for your next light up prop. And before we get over to INMPI, don't forget the code is PM Feather. It'll all make sense soon, but if you want to put stuff in your cart and start loading up, that is it. It'll expire tonight, around midnight. Let's do some INMPI. INMPI brought to you by DigiKey and Native Thank you, DigiKey. This week it is from Texas Instruments. Lady what is the new product? of the week this week okay this week's new product will get you on track it is the bq27 427 oh that's a mouthful it's a new impedance track battery charge monitor uh for lithium ion lithium polymer batteries um this one is kind of nice it's uh system side so you can use it with any battery it does not go into the battery pack it goes into the thing that the battery plugs into she makes it perfect for products where you, you know, you have these batteries that just plug in directly and you want to monitor their charge state. Um, another nice thing about it, it has an integrated sense resistor. We'll chat about that. And it has the impedance track algorithm going on inside, uh, which does a really good job and better job of keeping track of the battery charge state percentage, whether it needs to be charged, um, how many, you know, how old it is, how many times it has been charged back and forth, because that does affect um how much current you could draw from it 
and it's I squared C, so it's really easy to integrate. And uh, there's a separate data sheet with um, all the registers information. And you can also tweak the algorithm um, by uh, classifying the battery using the TI uh, BQ Studio. So let's get right into it. Lithium polymer battery. Uh, the lithium polymer battery is uh, very common for people designing portable battery-powered rechargeable products. You know it, you love it. Uh, some cool things about it, they're very high density, they're easy to get in almost any size, they're very inexpensive, um, they have a nice high a nominal voltage, 3.7 volts, which means you, know, you can often use a linear or buck converter to power your 3.3 volt electronics off of it. Um, put some protection circuitry in it, and you know it's a pretty safe choice. One thing that's a little annoying about them, though, is it can be hard to know what the battery life is. And a lot of you know times when you're using a product, um, you need to know what percentage of the battery life is. Is it like two percent, ten percent, twenty-five, thirty, ninety, one hundred? Because that's going to tell you how long you can use it before you need to recharge, and that can also change your use case. Like with my phone says there's 10% less, I'm going to, you know, dim the backlight, turn off the audio, stop streaming YouTube, because I want to keep the um, device going as long as possible. So that information is very useful. Um, the thing about uh, lithium-ion batteries is, uh, if you go back one, uh, so it's printed on, on it the nominal voltage 3.7 volts and the nominal storage uh, 1,200 milliamp hours. Um, but that nominal voltage 3.7 volts is just kind of like a rough number. Depending on, like in this case, your discharge rate, this is from a TI white paper, uh, which can be linked in the text, how much current you draw from it is going to affect what the voltage is because there's this built-in impedance inside the battery. So the higher the current, the, there's going to be a little bit of a voltage droop. So if you draw as little as a couple hundred milliamps, you know, you're going to start at about 4.1, 4.2 volts. And then you're going to sit kind of in that 3.7, 3.8 to 3.6 volt range for like 90% of the battery life. And then it gets near to the end and then it kind of plummets very quickly down to about 3.0 volts but if you're drawing three amps or one and a half amps you'll see that there's this de depression to the voltage which makes a purely voltage-based monitor uh hard to use because if you don't know how much current is going through you don't know which curve you're on and so you know if you're reading 3.5 volts that could mean that if you're drawing a couple amps you're still at 90 percent but if you're drawing only 300 milliamps, it means you're at 5, 10%. So knowing how much current you're drawing is going to affect where, where which curve you're going to follow to determine um, the current battery life. Likewise, another thing people know about lithium ion and lithium polymer batteries is that they are uh, affected by temperature. Especially in cold weather, the voltage is going to droop as well. Um, at normal, you know, 20 degrees C, you'll see, you know, kind of the standard 4.0 to 3.0 voltage over the life cycle of the battery. But if you are at negative 10 C, because you're uh, in Fargo, then you're going to start at 3.4 volts before drooping down to uh, 3 volts very quickly. So you're, you know, what curve you're on, current, draw, temp ambient temperature range is going to affect it. Another reason why just measuring the open voltage of the battery or the, the loaded voltage of the battery is not going to necessarily tell you where you are um, in battery life. So, uh, also, thirdly, aging. Um, as batteries get older, the, the voltage drops or the impedance goes up. Um, that can affect 
based on the current draw, how much voltage droop you're going to see there as well. So, you know, these three these three things uh, are important to track how many times you've charged it, what rate you're charging at or discharging at, and the ambient temperature. And that's where impedance track comes in. So impedance track is uh, the trademarked um, algorithm from TI that uses the current coulomb counting, which is basically counting the current going in and going out, um, as well as you know, calculating the impedance, looking at the voltage to figure out what is the uh, state of the battery, what percentage of capacity, as well as um, you know how long it's going to take to charge up, whether it's charging or it's discharging, everything you need to know about your battery so that you don't have to do the work, especially if you're using um, a device with you know not a lot of microcontroller cycles to spare, you can outsource that all to this very low quiescent current chip. It'll keep track of all this for you and you don't have to try to um, you know measure the current going through a, a sensory system to determine how much current is leaving or entering your battery. There's a lot of details about impedance track. I'm not going to read this, but uh, you, know, you can pause the video and look at it. Um, but the, you know, this is an algorithm that happens inside. You do want to have some details about the battery pack. Like you'll need to know, of course, what is the nominal peak voltage? Is it a 4.2, 4.1, 4.3 volt battery? Um, that depends on the chemistry, what the battery pack size is, and also uh, it depends on you know the the manufacturer, the quality of the battery. You might have lower or higher impedance. Um, also, the protection circuitry is going to affect that as well. All this you can program into the impedance track calculator uh, by writing some couple registers, um, and you'll get uh, more accurate results. Um, the benefits we chatted about, you know, basically does it all for you with the trade-off of that you have uh, a sensor resistor. And normally, the sensor resistor is external. You'd have, you know, another component to add as well as, um, you know, any pull-ups or pull-downs, capacitors or so. And what's really nice is uh, how simple this uh, chip is to use. So it's, um, I didn't put the footprint here, but it is a nine pin BGA. I think it's like 1.6 by 1.6 millimeters. It's quite small, but even though it's a BGA, the center pad is shared with an outer pad. They're both ground, which is kind of nice. It means that you don't have to use a plugged via or like weird routing to try to get that center pad out. Um, so you can kind of think of it as an eight pin BGA, not a nine pin, just, you know, short the center pin out to the ground. You've got I2C SCL SDA, so you use that to communicate with your Mac controller. Um, there is the integrated sensor resistor you see on the right, and then the output VSYS, that is, you know, you, you plug in the battery to BAT, VDD and VSS you see in the bottom there, that's just the internal LDO, so you have to put a capacitor there. You have the battery voltage coming in, goes to the sensor resistor, and then out to VSYS. So this goes in between the battery and your system voltage because it has that integrated sensor resistor on the high side. The coulomb counter is uh, used to calculate the impedance track algorithm. And then there's two more uh, I.O. There's the GP out. There's a general purpose output. You can use that as like an interrupt. It tells you when the battery voltage is low. It passes a threshold that you've programmed in. And there's also B in, which can be used um, as a thermistor input. Or it can be used if you have an external uh, thermistor inside the battery pack for internal battery pack monitoring. There's also um, the possibility of using it as a switch input so you know when the battery has been cycled. That way you can reset um, the algorithm because otherwise you know, the coolant counter is going to go out of sync. If somebody's replaced the battery on your device, you want to kind of start over and say, okay, we have a new fresh battery. We don't know 
how many times it's been cycled. We don't know um, what charge state it's at. So it kind of resets the internal algorithm. Um, as you mentioned, you, you will have to, uh, when you boot up this chip, you want to tell it what it's connected to, to the best of your ability. So there's a couple things like the chemistry ID um, and the battery pack size, and you program that over I squared C, but you know, and they give you a list of the commands. Um, there's also the ability to create a golden image, which is if you have you know a battery from your lot of batteries, especially this is if it's not being removed and replaced with some you know off you know an off the shelf battery, if it's like something you know well known battery you can do a learning cycle where you have a dead board from TI, you plug your battery in and it kind of does this charge, discharge, relax cycle and it calculates um, some, of, some of the details about the battery and how it responds to charging and discharging that you can then enter into your uh, uh, I2C programming. And this is Gauge Studio. So you, know, you use their eval kit, uh, but you plug in the battery and it runs it for you. You know, if you're if you're doing a large run of a product and you want to get like really good, accurate, precise um, battery statistics data, I recommend it. If not, you can probably get away with just putting in the voltage and the current. Um, this is an example of how you use the I squared C commands to program in the chip. Note that uh, it does not have EEPROM. You know, it's it's a low cost. Um, chip here, so it's all in RAM. So when you turn on the microcontroller, you're gonna have to program it every time. So yeah, that's a trade-off of this very low-cost chip. It's like 70 cents in quantity. You do have to program it each time, but it's not a big deal. Um, you have like this key you have to insert and you put in the capacity and the voltage and all that. Do it every time and, and you're good to go. It's not in stock, but it will be in stock soon. It was in stock when I first pick this uh but it's, it looks like it's going to be in stock in a couple months um they sold out pretty quickly it's um it's a nice little chip i mean it's very small uh it's uh has the integrated sense resistor so it's like one less thing you need you only need two passes connected over i squared c and uh for under like 70 cents you can have a really high quality battery monitor for your product probably runs off of a battery you want to know exactly what the state of charge is and that's me that is this week's ion mpi Okie dokie, we're going to jump right into new products. New, new, Got a couple of revisions. This is a revision for the ESP32 S2 Feather. All these boards got, there's like a bunch of revisions because the battery monitor, speaking of battery monitors, the battery monitor chip that I originally used when I uh, designed these feathers, the LC709203, very, very cool battery monitor, it got discontinued. And so we had to replace it. Um, so these all got respun to use the Mac 17048. Uh, and also we did the silk screen and I was added. I think it's much more legible using Penguin. It's otherwise the same. So we're going to update the uh, tutorial for the Mac 17048. But I love this new battery monitor. It's basically just as good. Uh, maybe I'll update to the BQ uh, battery monitor because we just covered that. 
Um, but uh, it's been revised, so you can get the new version, and you can see on the back it says Max 17048 battery monitor. That's how you know which version you have, other than the fact that the silk screen is fancified. Next up. We've also updated the 1.2-inch 7-segment LED backpack, featuring the HT16K33. It's an I2C to LED matrix driver. Um, we have these in a variety of configuration sizes. This is like a massive, chunky 1.2-inch uh, high digits. Um, you do have to, this is just the backpack. It's not the LED display itself, which, you know, if you see in the next image, what the outline of it would be. Um, and uh, what's updated is that, so, you know, it's kind of, a, you know, we, we talked about how we handled revisions. Yeah. So one of the things I did is, first up, uh, it now has Stemic QT ports. So it's yeah. plug and play, much easier to use. You don't have to solder in that header if you don't want to. It can make wiring much easier. Second, I've added a little boost converter. So one of the things about the 1.2 inch LED segments is that the LEDs, there's two LEDs in series in each segment of the digit. And so you really need five volts for it to look good because it's two volts plus two volts. If you want it at 3.3 volts, it's very dim. You really want five. And so um, historically I said, well, you can run it at three volt logic, but you'll also want five volt power. Well, I've updated it now so you can run it at five volt or three volt any mix and match you want because built in is now a five volt little boost converter that will give you you know 100 milliamps which is all you need to drive the segments at five volts cleanly even if you're powering it from three volts so great for use with stem qt because oftentimes you're plugging into a three volt microcontroller like an rp2040 or a samd21 or you know a raspberry pi or whatever and it has three volt power and three volt logic so um, a very big update, two two big updates, but this one I think this will make it a lot easier to use. Next up. Okay, next up, uh, we've got a PAM eighty three oh two breakout. Uh, we've had a breakout board version of this, like breadboard friendly version, for a long time, but I want one that's plug and play, that is pre soldered, ready to go. You don't have to. Uh, do any soldering to get it working. You have terminal block on one end for the speaker. You have the JST for audio input on the other. And it's just a kind of nice, you know, three watt class D amp, low cost, simple. Uh, by default, it gives you about 14 dB of gain, but um, into a four ohm or eight ohm load. But if you look at the next photo, there is a little volume control knob. It's a potentiometer that you can twist to reduce the input from, you know, can be up to three volts peak to peak input. You can reduce it down to reduce the gain so it doesn't you don't blow out your um, setup. So I have a little demo. We have a demo. I have a demo showing the kind of configuration because there's, you know, we have a lot of amplifiers and I'll explain why you'd want one or the other. So, oh man, I just... Oh powered. no! Sorry. Oh, no. I, was hitting, I was about to hit autofocus and I hit power instead. We're back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How did we... How did we survive? Hold on. It takes a second. For it does, but then then it's all ready. Okay, fine. You can zoom in if you want to. I know, well, I have a, I have a lot of stuff going on. This overhead can boot, boot up faster if you accidentally yeah. turn it off. If you turn it off. Why would anyone do that? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Fine. So what's nice here is that, um, again, it's solder-free. This is a prototype. It's green. The final version is blue or black. Um, but green, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I'm feeling green. Uh, it, inside, there's a, a JST 2 millimeter pH input with, and you can use, we have cables that are like a dollar a piece. Black is ground, red is power, three or five volts will work, and then white is signal in. 
And the signal is capacitively coupled here, so it can be DC reference. It doesn't matter. We'll AC couple it on the input. And then the potentiometer is the gain. Um, and uh, then there's the amplifier. There's a couple of capacitors. And then output You can uh, is a bridge tag load to, in this case, it's a 4-ohm speaker, and up to 3 watts. So it's, it's fairly loud. And I don't want to get us into YouTube trouble, so I'm just going to quickly um, yeah. turn it up. Stop it. Okay. Wait. Wait. YouTube police. YouTube police. Everyone's a cop now, too. Everyone's just... It's cop just like, It's cop they're, city. They're just like, I'm going to turn you in because you're doing something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but this is great. Like, for example, this is CircuitPython, and it has 3-volt peak-to-peak output. But, you know, I also tried this with line-level output from my computer, and it works great, you know, because you have enough gain. Um, and then you can use, the, uh, use any... Um, flathead screwdriver to adjust the gain and you know don't don't play copyright music ever um works with pretty much anything it's just straight analog audio in to class d amplifier out very simple but really great when you just have microcontroller audio pwm or pure dac output and you want to amplify to a speaker okay next up the start of the show besides you lady Ada, our community our team Entire staff data for the community that keeps things going in all sorts of ways. That's cops. That's <laughs> yeah. There's nice cops too, but I'm just saying, like yeah. everyone needs to stop turning each other in, and uh, let's all get together and uh, make a chair stuff. Anyways, um, start of the show tonight. The product is da da da. It's the prop maker feather. So let's. I'll, I'll show this demo on the over. Okay. So we'll just go straight to it. So the PropMaker Feather is the latest in our RP2040 all-in-one Feather line. Um, this is because we had a lot of people who were making projects with our PropMaker Feather wing and the Feather M4. And the Feather M4 has been really hard to keep in stock because the SAMD51 is still affected by the chip shortage somehow. Um, and people also had to solder together and there's two pieces and it, like they wanted better quality audio. And so I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll just make an all-in-one Feather. Actually, I... You know, that's giving myself too credit. Uh, Dan Halbert said, why don't you make an all-in-one feather? And I was like, that's a good idea. So um, I did so. So what this has, I'll go to the next image, is on uh, the left-hand side, you've got your USB-C and your battery input and your RP2040 chip. So it's a dual-core 130 megahertz processor. So you can uh, do sensing, play back audio, do CircuitPython or MicroPython or Arduino with it. Um, there's a reset button, there's a bootloader button, you can also use as a user button. It's a, after it's booted, you can use it as an input. There's a STEMI QT port, 8 megabytes of flash, so lots of space for storing audio files or um, sound fonts, whatever you want to call them, or animation instructions. There is an accelerometer kind of in the top right corner. It's a list 3DH, 3-axis accelerometer with tap detection, so really good for motion sensing. On the bottom right, there is an I2S Max 98357 3-watt digital amplifier. So this takes, takes digital signal I2S from the RP2040, so it gives you really high-quality audio output, um, up to 3 watts, so it's good for you know uh, powering fairly large speakers uh, for props and robotics and animatronics. There's also a little servo port. We had a little space left over, and I was like, well, what are we going to use it for? And I think Phil B was the one who was like, can you stick a servo connection there? I don't know. Somebody said so. And I was like, yeah, it's a good idea. So I did. So you can plug and play a servo inside. And then there's terminal blocks for the outputs. So you, the NeoPixels for a button input and for the speaker output, 
you've got these terminal blocks so you can really quickly wire up a project and there's probably a lot of projects you can do with minimal soldering and you don't have to solder to the feather itself you just use a terminal block so let's go to yeah uh, and the overhead one thing i'll say is uh you know a while ago i think it was a decade ago i'm just like you know it'd be really cool if one day disney did like imagineer in a box to have the next generation of people who are doing like all the cool uh animatronics and more and like disney's so gigantic now it's like it'd probably be impossible to find anyone who could help make that happen so i'm just gonna call it that it's like this is one of the things that you can do uh video uh, sorry uh audio um you could do robotics you could do lots of things uh in a really compact package and uh make your own this gets this could put you on that path of uh making like pretty intense yeah I, I mean i think with, with the prop maker feather wing we learned a lot like it was a good thing but i think i learned a lot like people really want i2s digital um, output sounds really good and um they want terminal blocks they can plug and unplug stuff in a servo port um so i didn't have the servo plugged in before so it was, it was making a little bit mm -hmm. of noise so let's uh try this again and this is signal you can run uh, scripting languages on them yeah yeah it's like pretty intense um, things it can do. yeah it can also run off of a battery which is kind of nice so I'm gonna, I'm how much flash is on it this has eight megabytes of flash eight, so eight megabytes. lots of space for audio and more so it runs off a battery here uh this is the button input so one of the terminal pins is just like a gpio so in this case you know when i press it the neopixels go it's also playing audio but um you don't have to believe me uh and then this is the servo output so you know it's just slowly moving the servo back and forth um but that's handy if you want to do um projects where there's a little bit of motion involved maybe you want to you know move a little eyeball or move a head back and forth or um uh, have something spinning you know you could have yeah. um there's continuous rotation servos as well and uh the neopixel output has a five volt level shifter so you get nice clean neopixel output and then the power to the neopixels and this servo and the audio amplifier can be turned on off instantaneously so there's, there's a transistor that can turn off those external um power outputs and the reason you might want to do that is uh for quiescent power usage like the rp2040 isn't a very low power chip but still you know neopixels do draw current even if they're not lit and so this would let you just completely kill all that power and mute the amplifier for sure and then um you know this boot button here when i press it you know it turns this led white and then of course you can add more sensors and capability over the stem qt port just plug in vertically into it um this one has a broken connector because it's mine but uh, imagine it didn't have a crack in it plug in um you know a gyroscope you can plug in oleds you can plug in um, more servo drivers you can plug in um you know an nfc rfid reader whatever you want into the i squared c and of course you have all the header pins as well so you have like 21 gpio on top of that uh for any kind of analog reading or digital control can to up to a tft what have you it's like a regular feather but I think a lot of it's built in. I kind of like that you may not more circuitry or soldering to get most projects off the ground. Yeah. All right. And uh, that is New Products of the Week this week. Okay. So we have some questions lined up already. Yeah. Um, so do go to Discord. And uh, if you haven't already put your questions up there, Discord. if you put some up there before, we'll get to them in just a minute. Um, we're going to do some top secret, which is a little bit of a twofer. So let's kick it off.
Okay, so uh, top secret this week is part of our My Little Hacker series. And I like the intro that I made for this, so I'm going to do it again. And then we're going to talk about the latest in some toy hacking. My Little Hacker, My Little Hacker, building with you is magical. My Little Hacker, My Little Hacker, it's time to build and show. Okay. So um, we posted this up on the socials. I'm like, hey, try to guess what this is. So uh, what is this lady? This is, uh, and this is the 3D rendering. I like these renderings because they really give me a good sense of what it is. And this is the CAD output. I finished writing this, this is morning. Yeah. This is schematic. So this what is, is um, replacement brains for the um, baby the Einstein tickle. Oh, you've got a whole set here. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. This is the uh, Baby Einstein take along, and this is a replacement board. You can pop out the board that's in there, and then you can put your own music in it. And if you know what this thing is and know how it repeats the same songs forever, you probably want to put different music in it. All right, do you want to? Yeah, it's like this weird chip tuny. Uh, yeah, let's go to the overhead. So this is the, uh, this is the toy, <laughs> which is now off. This is kind of like it's a little like you know you needed a toy to entertain uh, a young kiddo or maybe an adult. Uh, you know anyone can use it. It's inexpensive. It's like less than ten bucks, uh, and it's got this button that you can press. And then there's like this little LED. It's like a screen. It's like a weird like, um, it's like an AI version of an iPod. You know what I mean? It's like kind of like weird and like mutant, um, and it plays uh, kind of random songs from the memory. And they're kind of the speaker's pretty good, but the the tunes are just kind of like your generic classical tunes that have no uh, copyright infringement issues and like make your baby smart, whatever. But we want to have it play Nine Inch Nails or maybe a podcast. We don't know. Whatever you want. Um, so if we did a previous video where we opened it up and we saw what's in it. It's, you know, of course, this blob chip. There's like three LEDs. I mean, look, they have to make it cheap. I don't blame them. It's a single-sided paper phenolic board. Um, here's the switch. And then, um, you know, we did some hacking experiment. We're like, oh, you know, can we boost this to run a ESP32 S2? And we tried our I2S BFF to make music and like plug in the speaker. So we know, you know, we basically got a proof of concept of what we wanted to do to replace the brains. Because we thought like, let's make a new circuit board that fits in here. And instead of playing these pre-programmed tunes, you would be able to customize what audio you want to play. So yeah. we can go back to the... Um, this is what it is. Yeah. So it's got a micro SD. It's kind of visible at the top left. And the main processor chip is the ESP32-S2. Um, I thought it'd be cool to have Wi-Fi because then once you've enclosed it in the case, you could use Wi-Fi. We have a Wi-Fi workflow in CircuitPython. Um, and there's also over-the-air programming, of course, in Arduino. And then you could, you know, once you have it set up to look for your Wi-Fi, you could reprogram it. Um, and then also upload new files to the SD card. So you can have like new songs. You can change it out. So your kid gets really tired of the Pixies. Yeah. For example, you could change it to Depeche Mode. Um, you know, and then if they get tired of Depeche Mode, I don't know. I guess they can go to The Cure. And if yeah, they get tired sure. of The Cure, uh, Susie and the Banshees. I mean, like, yeah. there's infinite 80s goth music that you can have your kid play. Uh, so you can put any size SD card, and the ESP32-S2 can definitely play WAV files in CircuitPython over I2S. There's an I2S amplifier, our favorite, that Max98357, which we adore so much. We put it in so many things. Um, there's a STEMIQT port, so you can attach sensors or devices. Maybe you have it um, read data or send data or have an OLED or whatever you want. Uh, USB-C for uploading code or you know direct communication if you don't want to do this wireless thing. 
a little boost converter that's kind of on the bottom center there um, that takes the three volt battery because we want to use the enclosure so we'll take the three volt battery pack and boost that up to 3.3 volts because you know if you're using rechargeable batteries it's like 2.6 and we tested it the esp32 does not want to run s2 does not like running off of two uh rechargeable AA batteries you really want to have a booster to give it a nice clean 3.3 volts and then we kind of sprinkled a couple neopixels like five neopixels around uh to have a kind of the same background animation but it'll be full color not just three yeah. leds of a single color because we we like color and then um the outline is the same we kind of you know moved it out a little bit but the same pads for the battery and for the switch connector and then the elastomer so it should be a drop-in replacement and then you know of course it's you can't expect them to make a product like this would be more expensive than most people want to pay but for people who want to hack their toys um you know this could be like 20 bucks or something and then you can yeah this is this is a nice gutify yeah toy. so you know kiddo has one of these and eventually you get tired of the music um you can replace the circuit board in it wirelessly put any music you want in there basically make your own kiddo spotify or like whatever it's like it's the music that um you want and then you can over time put different music on there and i think that'll be kind of a neat you know parent kid thing and it's sealed up it's an enclosure that's like battle tested these are super cheap there's like millions of these out there they're never going to change the design either so i thought this would be a good project enclosure yeah it doesn't even change the behavior like maybe a double click does something or like a hold like you can change the behavior a lot easier yeah. um i did make the switch do the amp the gain on the amplifier because there, there's a gain pin on the max so when you put the switch onto low power it like drops the gain by um like 90 b so yeah. uh that's still that's still functional but um one of the things i wanted to try to do is is one thing i, I do kind of like about kids toys is you don't have to turn them off the quiescent current is really really low i mean you use your chargeable batteries anyways but it would be really neat if it's like if you forget you know you know you're like ah i have so much stuff to do. you're not gonna remember to turn it off and so the ESP32, another reason I liked using the S2 is it has very, very low quiescent current when it's in deep sleep mode. And so I have to, you know, I'm going to experiment, but I'm pretty sure that I can make it so when there's no, you know, after it's done playing a song, it goes into this deep sleep mode. And then when you press the button, it'll wake up in between. It should use like 30 or 40 micro amperes. So it'll be able to, you know, not as little as whatever this 8051 yeah. clone core is, but um enough that it should be able to run for a couple of weeks on a low battery i don't know it could be kind of interesting i mean you could also like use text-to-speech like when you press the button they could say you know what the weather is going to be or it could have like personalized messages i don't know like i like the idea of like reusing these like really durable enclosures and then we have you know they're 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 i don't you know they're not like waterproof but they're weatherproof and then um using the wi-fi workflow to reprogram them and then you know these use double batteries yeah. So this will be kind of a fun, you know, mod mod toy type thing yeah. um, that you'll be able to do a lot and, you know, give these as gifts to people. I mean, here you go. Um, there's some fun songs. Emojin Heap has a neat song that they uh, engineer to help put babies to sleep. You could just have a single serving thing where it's like, here you go. Yeah, this we plays could have a really a, nice song. You know, drift, you know, the, like, yeah, the drift song. One. We could play it yeah. on loop. And then another thing is, is that you can change the timeouts. So I don't know. I think it would be kind of fun. Like we've done quite a bit of toy hacking. And you know it's interesting it's like toy toy hacking and circuit bending is kind of like an old yeah. style like i remember in like the you know the early make years that was like a really big thing people do toy hacking they'd open toys and like 
change resistors and values to try this will retain the someone asked this will retain the baby proofness of it because yeah. you're just opening up changing out the circuit board and then sealing it up again that's why the it's, wi-fi is so cool is that yeah. as an adult you can go in and you can change the code over the circuit python yeah. wi-fi workflow but um like the kiddo like can still chew on yeah that. it's kind of neat that baby toys are all screws they, they and it's like it's funny it's actually repairable even though that's probably one of the last things people repair a lot anyways um so then we have a little bit of an update um, I'll just play the videos, 38 seconds. This is the uh, Teddy Ruxpin modification that we're doing. Short version, there's these Bluetooth animatronic bears on eBay for $20 or less. It's a rebooted Teddy Ruxpin company, went out of business. So they're just sitting around. You can't put anything on them custom uh, until now. So this is uh, our progress with that project. Not this Wednesday, but the, 10 days ago, Wednesday, um, is when I got the audio working in the morning. And I don't see which version this is. So um now let's see this icky sicky 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 bubblegum 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 icky sicky 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 bubblegum makes your hands stick to your head so now i've got it uh playing custom audio um so that's a, a song icky sticky bubblegum that uh our ada kiddo likes to listen to Yeah, so that last picture, I went over to Midjourney and I typed in Teddy Ruxpin, Miss Rachel, and I was playing around with a couple different images. I'm like, oh, that's pretty neat. That's actually what I'm going to do. I'm going to dress up the Teddy Ruxpin as Miss Rachel, if you're familiar with uh, Miss Rachel. She's a music teacher that does uh, like singing videos for kids. And so I made the um, the graphic. And uh, of course, you know, I had to then later on deal with um, dudes on social media that said, why do you have to change the gender of the bear? Because that's what you do now. You wait around until there's a picture of a teddy bear that's in overalls and you care about if it's a boy teddy bear or a girl teddy bear because that's what people do on the internet now. That's where we're at. So anyways, that's what that, that image is. I thought it was cute. I think it is cute. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that's uh, this week's My Little Hacker. My Little Hacker, My Little Hacker Building with you is magical My Little Hacker, My Little Okay, we have a lot of questions lined up. We're gonna okay. right away. Ready, Dana? Bam, bam. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna uh, put them on the screen so you can see them here. Yes. Okay. Uh, let me question for the share. First one, Lady Ada. Uh, hi there. I got a project I'm working on. I need to use the six. Need to use six same. I squared C devices. I need them all to communicate to each other. Would this be possible using the I squared C protocol? If they're all I squared C controllers, then I don't think so because the controllers can only have one address. However, for the peripherals, you can use an I squared C multiplexer. And we have eight channel multiplexers. So, like, you're well within reason. Um, so, if it's like, oh, I want to connect to eight AHT20 humidity sensors. Just use a multiplexer and we've got tutorial on how to do that. Okay. Uh, next one. Can you use BLE and Wi-Fi together for the Pico W? It's a good question. I think in the SDK you might be able to, but in circuit in MicroPython, I think it might be a challenge because I know that it's the firmware. Um and I don't know if there's a new firmware that covers both for this the Infineon Psi4343 9 chip, or whether it's two different firmwares. If it's two different firmwares, then you can only run one at a time. But if there's one firmware that puts it in both modes, you can switch between the two. 
uh then you should be able to do both at the same time but like boy i don't know i haven't tried it I and mean, okay. this is like this just got released like uh, six hours ago what is uh cpm um cpm is like a very early um operating system which i've never actually used to be honest but it's it was text-based it was a kind of the Commodore 64 era maybe it was beforehand uh i, I have a feeling that jepler used it maybe as a kid yeah. uh and so as a real fan i'm wanting to get back to it but it was a text only uh disc operating system next up the new adafruit seven segment backpack is the quick power still source voltage on the other quick port if you need to connect another device yes that it's like it's three volts it goes through and then internally on the board it does a five volt boost okay uh why does circuit python pico dbi display library require the use of 24-bit palette entries but the entry only shows either black or white no matter what values the palettes entries have i know that there is color support but there might be a bug in which case you can open up an issue. I mean, it's been a while since I tried the Pico DVI um, display IO library. I'm pretty sure it can do color, but it's going to map the color. But what we tend to do with CircuitPython is we don't have um, special, like we don't know what the display is. We we let you use any color and then we'll render it to the best of our ability. And so if you picked a monochrome display setup, you know, you can anything that's like darker than 50% gray will show up as black. Anything lighter than 50% gray will show up as white. And it does hue calculations to determine like red, is that considered black or white? Um, in general, if you know, you know what display you're going to use, but the display can change. So we let you set any color. And then the display driver interprets that to the best of the display's ability. Okay. Um, well, this is a good one because I already have uh, something ready for this. What will you do when Autodesk drops EagleCAD in 2026? We have an entire video segment last week on Ask an Engineer. You can watch it. You can find it, just scrub to it, and we talk about that. But I'll also tell you, yeah, it's a, well, not really a rant, but I'll also say um, typical Adafruit style as we um, show us migrating away from EagleCAD, like some of us use KeyCAD on staff. But as we show it, we're going to show, here's some tips. Here's some things we do. We already donate to KeyCAD. We already support it in all the ways that you know you can. We think we could do some um, bounties to help add some new features. Um, but just like everything else, we'll show our work as we go along. And I think you'll like it because every single week we'll have something um, like, oh, here's a new thing that we learned in KeyCAD. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. We converted from EagleCAD. Here's some other stuff. So anyways, it'll be fun, yes. but check out the video segment. I'll say I haven't looked into it in, in depth, depth, depth. I don't know what we're going to do yet, I, but I'm up to either I want to try both uh, KiCad or Fusion 360, and I'll make the right decision for me. Okay. Uh, next, uh, uh, Jeff Curling interviewed Evanov recently, who was not exactly positive about Risk Five for the moment. He seemed to think that it'll be something close to a decade, as I recall, before Risk Five ecosystem is mature enough. Compete with ARM. For him to consider Raspberry Pi, do you? Uh, this seems pessimistic to me. What do you think? Um, here's what I think. Evan is really uh, smart, and uh, if Risk Five makes sense for Raspberry Pi products, you'll see it. He's very, he's very cost optimized. Yeah, yeah so he's not gonna. Really, yeah, he but, will go with whatever the cheapest thing is if it if it has the equivalent behavior and performance. But he does want to maintain the performance. Yeah, my my experience is they usually make really smart decisions. And so, um, you know, we get asked like, when are you going to switch to Risk Five? It's like, well, when 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 the when all of the reasons that we would need to make sense. Um, there's been a couple microcontrollers with like some Risk Five chips, but not, yeah, not supported. Chips, not supported. Yeah, they're the main for the most part. Yeah, main core Risk Five chips have not done particularly well. 
Um, ESP32C3 is risk five. It's a, it's one of the few that I think is successful and actually made it to market and have have like real use cases and users. Um, it's it's very early, yeah. you know, and it takes a long time to get the maturity, but it's definitely you know it's it's becoming more used. Um, I you know I was asked a couple of years ago about risk five where I thought, and I think it's a great replacement for eight bit cores and eighty fifty one um microcontroller cores like you can use risk 5 instead you get the power of like a 32-bit risk architecture um without the cost of licensing arm but i don't know i mean i'm i yeah. you know evan knows more about chip design than I, I mean do. one thing for us of like if there was like a low-cost risk 5 microcontroller that had usb i don't want to go you know we port circuit path onto it probably yeah that like those are things like we have a core set of things that we like to see in microcontrollers if we're going to or circuit python to it but that would be nice um is there any update on the nightjar analog electronic bird synthesizer get into it um it's just on the long list of things that i did get the toy hacker thing done and that's been four months yeah. old so, so it's happening some things have just moved in slow motion between uh kind of recovering from covid and part shortage like all these things together just kind of perfect storm and 300 redesigns 300 redesigns oh, baby but yeah but you'll notice like momentum is happening um, so we'll get there. We also have box coming up. It's happening. It's just like, it's sometimes it feels like you're running through molasses, but the uh, thing is, if you're running through molasses, keep on running <laughs> don't stop. Question for the show with the baby hacking SP32 S2 board thoughts on adding an inexpensive proximity center, reduce the volume. If the baby takes it up to their face, maybe even helpful if the LEDs dim. That's a good idea. That's something you could like easily, easily add with the stem QT ports. It's a perfect example. We have a lot of low cost proximity sensors. You could tell you know, if it's being held, well, the speaker's on the back, but you could, you know, drill a hole um, and have the sensor point through, and then you could tell if, you know, if you have a kid who likes to put it up to their ear because they want to blast their eardrums, um, yeah, put on put on the Led Zeppelin or something, or Jeff um, White, make it loud, and, um, they could, you know, you could you could reduce the volume that way digitally. Again, I, I2S amplifiers make it easy. You can also pre-record your own messages from, like, grandparents, and the kids can listen to it. There's a lot of things you can do with that. Um, and good quality, not like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love those, you know, the ISM chips. But, man, nothing beats, uh, you know, 44 kilohertz wave files for good quality yeah. audio. Uh, what are the blue resistors with the extra stripes? When would they be used over 5% resistors? Sometimes you want precision. They're usually 1% or 0.1%. Sometimes like current sensing, you don't want to have variation. Uh, sometimes they're used um, for, uh, you know, an op-amp circuit where, um, the, you know, you don't want a 5% variation in the frequency generated or filtered. Um, so you do use 1% resistors once in a while. These days, to be honest, a lot of people use surface mount and the surface mount cost is almost the same. Um, I tend to use 1% usually for like the feedback resistors and the boost converter because, you know, 5% here, 5% there. You don't want your output voltage to vary by 5%. You want it to be like around the money. Okay. And that was all the questions of the week this week. Thank you, everybody. That's our show. Special thanks oh to Cara behind the scenes doing some stuff and more helping the show run smoothly. Very much appreciated. Uh, don't forget the code is PM Feather. 10% off. Um, we'll see everybody throughout the week. Thanks for the great questions and hanging out with us. Um, we will uh, be back next week. Yeah, you can see the green part. The green part. Yeah. Um, cool. This has been an Adafruit production. Here's your moment of zener. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.